Hello, Line Podcast listeners. Matt Gurney here for Jen Gerson. The latest episode of the Lines Experimental Podcast is here. We wanted to make a big sharp break from what we talked about last week, which was all federal politics, and we failed because we talked a lot about federal politics. A very interesting long-form article in the CBC. We talk about that and what it tells us about the Liberals and Justin Trudeau. We talk a little bit about the situation in Ontario, the Greenbelt situation maybe heating up a little bit. Uh, Jen takes us on an update of what's happening in Alberta and why it might sound familiar to those who've been paying attention to some federal scandals in recent years. Lots more, including why by the end, me going to read about the Titanic catastrophe would actually cheer me up. Enjoy this episode of the Lines Experimental Podcast. Well, Jen Gerson, uh, that's, that's quite the wild mane you have there. Yeah, that's, I was letting my hair reflect my inner state. I just had quite the adventure at the bank with two children. This was not a good idea. No. And, you know, it's funny because once upon a time, my my grandmother way back in the day, I mean, obviously she's dead now. So a while ago, uh, she was a bank teller. And mm-hmm. that, was sort, that was sort of like her career before she did what people did in the 1940s, which was get married and then never work again. If you're mm-hmm. so... So her like early 20 job was a bank teller and then eventually senior bank teller. And it just like you walk into a bank in Toronto, especially like an older building, you've got nothing but like little windows and or tills or I guess for bank tellers. And there's like one guy on duty. So you have these big branches with one person on duty. So you ran into a lineup in the bank as well because there were no people there. Um, Do we want to just jump right into it? Let's jump right into it. We do not need to tell the story about how my how my son, you know, smashed my daughter into the to the glass sliding door of the bank uh, teller's office. That's that's fine. We can just skip that. Accidentally, though, I want to stress. I feel like I should come to his defense. Kinda. Uh, okay. Yeah, like let's just say I did not win mom mom of the year award today. Anyway. Well, that's okay. They'll just add a small bank fee to your account to compensate for that. Um. So last week, and this was not planned. Um. Our dispatch last week was really hard on the federal liberals, and I'm not apologetic for it because they deserve it. But no, we just didn't even mean to do it. It just happened. Yeah. So <laughs> just like, like, wait a minute. All of our dispatches are mean to the liberals. So, yeah, I mean, I ended up writing two blurbs on federal politics. You wrote a couple blurbs on federal politics. We sent a note out to our our usual um, contributors and said, hey, who wants to contribute? And we got some that were about federal politics. And it was not a plan. And we kind of decided we were going to do the opposite this week, where we're going to ignore as much of the federal stuff as possible and focus more on uh, some other issues. Spoiler th- alert, we kind of failed. Yeah, we we failed. I, I do have some provincial stuff I'm going to talk with you about and give you an update on. And I know you have some Alberta stuff I've you want to update me on. I've got some provincial stuff to talk about. Absolutely. Well, let me start with a federal thing. So Aaron Weary, CBC, wrote a long, uh, long essay this week. Uh, it, it's interesting. And I, I'm not, I don't say interesting to damn with faint praise. I, I mean that in a very literally. It's interesting. I would recommend everybody read it. And I think it's interesting on a couple of levels. Um kind of plucking out of it like one insight to share or comment on is not it's kind of futile like it's too long and and deep a piece to kind of do that but i am going to make one exception because something jumped out at me that i think is fantastic and have you read paul wells latest just came out a few hours ago no i've been uh 
busy. Oh, you've been okay. <laughs> right. My mistake. Pardon me. <laughs> so, do you remember a few months ago, or maybe it wasn't even that long? Mary Ng and Amanda Alvaro had that um, a conflict of interest because Minister mm-hmm. Ng's office had been giving contracts to Amanda Alvaro's company, pomp, pomp and circumstance. And it was found uh, by, by was Integrity Commissioner or Conflict of Interest Commissioner? I don't recall. Uh, yeah, I, I, one of those. One of those types of people. I, I don't recall what the, the title was, but basically because of a personal relationship, uh, a friendship between Minister Ng and, and Amanda Alvaro, that the um, payment should not have happened. So Paul Wells uh, was telling us this week about another one that that's come out like that uh, within Ahmed uh, Hussain's office. And there's been... Ah, I mean, it's I, I just I just kind of honestly love you, Paul. I, I just skim read this one just because it landed just as we were about to um, record this. But basically, it was someone who's on the um, a relative of someone who's on his staff was billing the office for communications training. And w- Paul made the point. These guys always get themselves in trouble with communications. And it's sort of on a meta, but also a micro level, right? Like all these troublesome contracts are going to communication firms also can we just point out like because firstly communications training is a grift uh sorry did i say that out loud no and therefore destroy all of my future contracts it's not my my retirement my 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 retirement plans or it's a grift unless done with professionals like matt gurney and jen (laughs) um no um but the meta side of of talking about communications for the liberals is that what is our primary criticism of the liberals? We talked about this in the last dispatch. There's the fuck Trudeau criticisms that we dismiss, but then there's the deliverology criticisms that we think are bang on. And the opposite of deliverology is comms. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what, what Paul was summing up in his piece. And there's this really interesting insight in the uh, Aaron Wary piece at the CBC, which again, I recommend it. It's interesting really jumped out at me and it's this is one of the i'm a weirdo this way like every journalist is a weirdo in this way you'll read thousands and thousands and thousands of words but three sentences like whoa and they jump out at you he's talking with a senior unidentified liberal you know the kind you know the 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 sources close to the prime minister blah 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 and the senior unidentified liberal who was granted permission to speak anonymously to CBC News to protect his identity and you know, allow candid comment, which is fine. I get it. We all play by these rules. Made a really interesting comment about how uh, the liberals, I mean, the polls are bad. The prime minister is unpopular. Like, the, the, this is a challenging time for the government. And he made a really interesting comment that about a year ago, uh, spring of last year, two, early 2020, how they weren't talking about the right things. You know, because they'd been knocked off track by uh, COVID, the convoy, uh, the invasion of Europe, econo- uh, the inflation and economic problems. Like and that they, the news. Yeah, well, they, were, the, they, the they, they weren't on their message, right? Right, right. Because the news ch- happened. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what jumped out at me. No, guys, you were talking about the right things because you were talking about reality. What was happening? Yeah, the world like, around you. And I understand that you were not talking about the things you wanted to be talking about, but what that tells you is that at a fundamental level, our federal government didn't want to be talking about reality. And no, they wanted to be crafting their own reality because perception management is what they is what they is what they do. 
and I always know I sound like I'm being petulant when I say this. They're very good at it. Yes, of like, course they are. Like, and this is the thing that people I don't think always appreciate. They're great at what they're doing. What they're doing just doesn't help you and I. Now, if no, you and no. I did have a communications firm and we were billing all the ministers, hey, maybe it would. But you know, for the record, we don't. Um, the, the the gap between a communications-based leadership and a deliverology, like actual policy implementation and execution-based leadership policy, is enormous because a very successful communication-based political strategy will get you elected. A very, like a focus on a deliverology and an effective one strategy will get shit done. And, you know, like, so the, this unnamed senior liberal is telling Aaron Wary, oh yeah, we weren't talking about the right things last year because we were elected in 2015 to talk about like jobs for the middle class and, and improving economic opportunity for Canadians. Yeah, no, that's true. And then a fucking plague happened and a war and we're for the <laughs> first Trump time and... in decades, we're thinking about nuclear attack. And <laughs> it's like, guys, I am sorry that like macro aggressions have intruded in a way that is knocking our attention off microaggressions. Like it sucks. I liked it more before we were worried about dying of like a mutated plague or getting nuked or having inflation too that was great but when a government is forced by reality to grapple with reality instead of its agenda that's not a problem it's why we have governments it's what you're here for that's your job do and your I, job and i think to the extent that i can charitably broaden this out so that i'm not just picking on the liberals here I actually think, and I wrote about this a lot during the pandemic, because um, uh, I, I did a ton of pandemic writing in Ontario, a lot of it for, for TVO, so my own home province, right? The pandemic was big and complicated. I tried to focus on my own home province. One of the issues that kept jumping out at me was how unprepared everybody was. And I just don't mean like, oh, we didn't have enough PPE. Justin Trudeau, until probably February of 2020, had probably not spent a lot of time thinking about a plague. Ditto Doug Ford. Ditto John Tory. And I think as we sort of looked across our society, we began to kind of realize there are a few people in positions of power who, who are relatively prepared for this, like mentally and, and um, uh, in terms of their education, but not many. And I think that's just such an interesting meta comment. None of our governments are built for crisis. Like the entire operating assumption, and I write about this when I say that expectations are a problem, is that the purpose of government is overseeing and occasionally redistributing a functional, healthy, prosperous, stable society. Yeah. But then when history throws a curveball at us, their expectations are a problem. They haven't right. thought about it. And right. did I ever tell you my weird little meta theory that I should turn into a column eventually? Sure. You want to know one of the most interesting dividing lines between people who adapted well mentally and people who didn't? People who took up sewing? Uh, 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 no comment. <laughs> my, my, what my keen communications brain is telling me not to comment on that. I noticed very early in the pandemic, it wasn't political affiliation. And I, like, I just remember like there were so many clued out dippers, so many clued out grits and so many uh, clued out Tories, but there were also some really smart dippers and grits and Tories. And I realized one, not 100% of the time, science fiction fans 
I thought in my own private conversations had a better time kind of going, okay, well, a month ago we didn't live in this world, but now we do. Mm. And I wonder if it's because nerds like me spend a lot of time thinking about different scenarios. Scenarios. Can I point out that I'm a science fiction fan and does that throw a curveball in your theory? No, because I think even though you got stressed out, you also didn't have a prolonged denial phase. No, no, I don't think I did. No. Like I remember, yeah. I remember in the early days of the pandemic, I was calling you being like, all right, do I need to be growing my own food? Like, okay. like I went, I went full on. You adapted. Adapt, yeah. Like you, Adapted you, you saw what was coming and drew the conclusions. You never had a risk to Canada's low face. What you had was a little bit of contrarian. Oh, the news is very worried about this. So therefore it's probably fine. And meanwhile, by this point, I was like polishing my rifles. And then no, like, I didn't, in, I didn't know I, early on the pandemic. I, I, I went full into before. I mean, before, like we, cause like when it was still, will it come here? Will it won't? Oh no. I, I was I, more I, worried than you were. Uh, I can't remember this exactly, but I do remember like fairly early by March of 2020, I was like, do I need to start stockpiling food and growing my own shit? By like the, I was, I was, I went to full, I went into full darkness. I went to yellow alert in January and by February I'd already done all my shopping and yes. You, yeah. I, I, yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Um, anyway, so the other, the other thing I would just mention, cause I'm talking about this Aaron Weary piece again, I strongly recommend it. Um, it's a really, it's a really interesting article in a lot of ways. And I think it's layered. Like one of the questions I would have, um, if you're the CBC, I don't know. If you're the CBC, I th think you might want to be thinking about running long profiles of the liberals. And I know that kind of clashes a little bit with their mandate. Like I'm not telling them not to report the news because obviously they should. But if Pierre Polyev is the next prime minister, exhibit A and why he's going to defund the CPC is going to be a, a feature like this. Well, here, here's, I would... here, here's, I'd like to make a one point on that one. Yeah. And that is, I think it's, um, it's easy for people to be critical of what are called friendly journalists or how else do you describe this? They're journalists who are, I mean, access journalists is another sort of pejorative mm -hmm. term. They're people who, who uh, the, usually the government in power, provincial, federal, federal, whatever, knows that they can turn to for a sympathetic ear, right? Yep. Um, you know, and certain journalists have been criticized for being that at various points of time. And I've always thought that was a bit of an unfair thing because I agree. bluntly, bluntly, I think that, Journalism is an ecosystem. We all don't do exactly the same thing. There's room in that ecosystem for friendly journalists, partisan, mm -hmm. not partisan journalists, but journalists who are part, friendly to certain partisan interests, because you can get information out to the general public that way that would never otherwise come out. It's the communications right? problem, right? If not for friendly journalists, we would have no insight into the government. Exactly. Exactly. So like, look, they're chatting with Aaron Wary. Cool. They're chatting with somebody and they're putting stuff out there into the general yeah. conversation that is giving us insight. It may not be positive insight. And it may not be the insight they're intending to give us, but they're still providing some valuable 
conversation, some meat for the fodder, so some fodder for the for the grist for the mill. There you go. That's what I'm looking for. So like, I, I think that there's a role for that kind of journalism, and I don't disparage it. I just think that there's different niches, there's different there's different roles in the ecosystem for this. So, um, I, I give I give I give for this particular profile I'll do props. I mean, obviously it's also a lot of work, right? I mean, it's a lot of work. Uh, to put these things it's together. worth reading. It's very yeah. interesting. And yeah. I, I I hope I didn't sound like I was criticizing Aaron directly because I'm not. Like I'm I'm telling everybody to read his piece. Mm. I can just see for the CBC, they're going to have a hard time covering the upcoming election if one of the key issues is do we keep the cbc well the other I just, interesting i just question don't know is, do, how do, they do that do they do a comparably favorable or a comparably friendly interview or profile that's five thousand words long with each of the other leaders right i mean that's the other interesting question i don't think the conservatives would talk to them well that that becomes the issue yeah i mean right? i i'm i'm starting to see uh polyev pop up a little bit in the media Mm-hmm. which I interpret with, I have no inside knowledge on this, but I interpret the, this as maybe a little bit of um, of an emerging media strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll see. Uh, one one more thing to mention on the worry piece before I, I move on. Uh, and I, won't, I won't bog this down any further because I know you've got some federal stuff you want to talk about as well. One of the things that Aaron has consistently been great on, and I think he remembers something that is uh, forgotten a lot, is that one of the biggest public policy wins the liberals have that has been almost unfairly forgotten is the reforms they did early in their first majority mandate on childcare payments. Okay. Because like that was taking a good political idea the conservatives had and actually converting it into a good public policy idea. And it's kind of been weird to me how little praise they get for actually doing a good job on that. Mm-hmm. And uh, he does have uh, a piece in the article, and I, I don't recall, because I didn't make a note of this, I don't recall if it's his narrative text or if he's quoting or paraphrasing someone else, but there is a couple of paragraphs where he sort of ticks off what the genuine accomplishments of the Trudeau-era liberals have been, and it is a more impressive list. Like It's interesting, because you can really read it either way. I think for critics of the Trudeau government, it is probably a more impressive mm-hmm. list than you want to admit. Mm-hmm. There's probably more there there than you want to admit. If you are a champion of the Trudeau government, you probably don't want people to notice that 80% of that list was all done six years ago. Mm. And it, it just struck me as like kind of one of these really interesting things. So all the, like cannabis legalization, child yeah. care, yeah. um, reforming NAFTA, actually kind of like surviving that, like how challenging surviving that was, that right? Yep. Um, like there are genuine accomplishments that these the liberals do have, but if you look, if like if you kind of break their time in office in half, just to keep things simple, right? They've been around over seven years now. We're into their eighth year, so let's just be sloppy and go. The first four years, we'll treat the majority term as one thing, and we'll treat everything after it as something else. I get that it's harder to get stuff done in a minority, mm-hmm. but oh my god. Well, and also like, the question is, even if they had a majority, what would they be doing? What's the vision? What's well, the strat- like, you know what I mean? I mean, well, you know what? I'm going to hand this over to you now. I've talked enough for a little bit. Let's talk about that because that's a really interesting issue. Tell me about the plaque. So this one got flagged for me and I was just, I went a little pop apoplectic and I'm almost going to keep my powder dry for when I'm writing here, but I'm going to read this thing from ctvnews.ca. Global Affairs Canada plans to install a plaque commemorating commemorating Canada's evacuation of Afghans and embassy staff when its capital Kabul fell to the Taliban. 
The plaque carried a $10,000 price tag and was approved in a July 2022 memorandum that the Canadian press obtained through an access to information request. Thank God. God bless you, Canadian press. It reads in part, this plaque pays tribute to all the government of Canada employees who contribute to this heroic effort. Matt, you had a really good phrase when we were talking about this before we started the, uh, the, the thing, but this is literally a monument to failure. Yeah. It's it's literally a monument right. to failure. Now we covered this quite extensively when one of our friends, Kevin Newman, covered what was actually going on in the ground. Yeah. You know, yeah, the the, the government employees and, and, and embassy staff got out fairly early and then left a lot of longtime employees and interpreters who worked with the Canadian Armed Forces during the uh war on terror behind and fucked with them for several weeks. So um before abandoning them to their deaths. Before, before abandoning them to their deaths. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, as, as the Taliban swept through. So, like, I don't even know where to begin by thinking that that was a thing you wanted to commemorate. Like, like how 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 accustomed are we in Canada toward to such a degree of complacency, such a degree of mediocrity that you look at the evacuation out of Afghanistan? A year ago, and think that deserves a plaque for our heroic efforts. We tried. You know, it kind of reminds me. You know what it reminds me of? A couple of years ago, back when I was at the Post, um, I made. I think Chris Selly and I were making fun of uh, CBC comedy. Oh yes, oh, and I one did, of the I, and... I was part. I I know what you're talking about, <laughs> and I got I. Was I your boss at the time? I, you probably were. Because yeah. I, I remember the angry emails. Yep. And we got an ang- no, we got an angry DM from like a producer at CBC Comedy that was like, basically, could you please stop being mean to us? A lot of people are trying really hard. We're trying. And to me, that's just like that summed up the Canadian spirit and that summed up Canadian me- mediocrity to a T. Like, it's not very good, but don't we get points for effort? Can't you see how hard we're trying? And the answer is no. You don't get points for effort. No mm. one gets, there are no points awarded so, for effort. None. Zero. Zip. I know out of the office. You, one of the, one of the only faults you have, you, you 99.9% excellence is Jen Gerson. <laughs> one fault you have is you're not a hockey fan. See right now for the for the video watchers out there, I've got my Maple Leafs retro sweatshirt on. A couple of years ago, just before the pandemic, you might have heard of this because it was such a, a humiliating embarrassment. Um, it was a really weird hockey game, one of the weirdest hockey games, and I actually, I, yeah, I was so lucky to be there. Like I like I, I watch almost every Leaf game on TV, but I actually happened to be at this game where both Leaf goalies got injured. And uh, sorry, one of our goalies got injured. Both opposing goalies got injured. And this is deep hockey minutia for you. The home team always has in the building what's known as the, the emergency goalie. So it's someone who's not an NHL caliber goalie. It could be someone from the local university team or someone from the minors. And in the event that the other team loses the, their goalie, the the home team is is required to have somebody in the building who can go on the ice, put on the equipment, and play goalie for the other team so that the game can continue. So when the the, the Carolina Hurricanes had both of their goalies injured, and our emergency goalie, the, the the one 
paid like you know paid to be there by the Toronto Maple Leafs organization signs an emergency one night contract with the Carolina yeah. Hurricanes they in a hurry get him a uniform made like they can do this on site and his name's David uh, Ayers and he was one of our Zamboni drivers and he works with the Maple Leafs as like one of the extra bodies at practices uh, yeah. being a goalie so the players can like take shots and he beat us <laughs> so like (laughs) i was watching so i'm there with my son and i it was one of the most pathetic performances (laughs) i've ever seen in any sporting organization but i was so incredibly honored to be part of it (laughs) and um the, the carolina hurricanes immediately had david Ayers merchandise available and my dad bought me one, bought my son one, bought himself one, bought my brother-in-law one. So we all ended up with David Ayers, Carolina Hurricanes, like merchandise, because it was a monument to failure. Yeah, yeah. And and this is, this is by we the way, We were doing why... it ironically. The yeah. Canadian government's not. No, they're not doing it ironically. I mean, this is honestly why the Maple Leafs are Canada's team and always will be. Go Leafs, go. Um. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm I'm laughing, but I'm genuinely quite inside. horrified. I'm dying inside. This is uh, sometimes this country, this fucking country. I don't can't I can't even. Have you just have you ever seen a failure so spectacular? You you feel privileged for being part of it. Uh, you know, I think I can. I'd have to think about it, but I think I have. Yeah, that was. I have to think about it though. That was me watching the Maple Leafs last night, and it's actually not a bad metaphor for a lot of Canadian governance. Since you want, it's funny. Also, this week, and I blame my sister for this. Um, my sister sent me down a a rabbit hole on YouTube of um of re- a series of really interesting videos, which then sent me in turn down another rabbit hole. I'm doing like a, a deep dive on the Titanic this week. Mm. Fascinating history, right? Yeah. When you, you read to- Max Miller's Tasting History, he has a whole series about like that the food is eating. what my sister sent me down. There you go. And I watched all of Max Miller's episodes of the menu that was being served on the Titanic. Yeah. And then great. I began, yeah, no, it's fantastic. So shout out Max Miller. And then I began watching other Titanic things. And I kind of got reminded of how there was controversy at the time because it was supposed to be women and children first, but mm-hmm. some very wealthy men survived, right? Because some of them read the writing on the well, the listing hall and got onto a lifeboat. Some of them were pulled out of the water, but there was almost a stigma to have survived if you were right. a man. Yeah. And, you know, it was a humiliation because you got yourself out instead of, instead of the women and yeah, children. You took up one of the limited life rafts that was, that otherwise would have gone to a woman or child. The Canadian government would have given them all medals. Oh, hundred percent. Yes. Because congratulations, embassy staff. We have gotten you out of danger. What about everyone else? Yeah, we got you out of danger back when it wasn't actually that hard to do, by the way, before the Taliban rolled in. Oh, and like, just to remind everybody, the issue of like left behind interpreters and things had been a simmering problem for years. Oh and my had God, yes. literally yeah, years yeah, yeah. had been like been 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 brought up, and one of the major problems was the level of paperwork required to get these people visas was involved like biometrics that they couldn't possibly get in Kabul. Like it was, it was actually Kafkaesque. Like it was unbelievable. So anyway, yeah. plaque. Max, his name's Max Miller. 
Max Miller tasting history. Tasting history. It's a historian on YouTube who recreates food items from historical periods. I, I love this guy. Absolutely fascinating. Oh I also want to make some of his recipes. Yes. Like, I want to make yes. third-class Titanic passenger rice soup. Which actually looked really good. It did look good. Yeah. Uh, you, on the federal front, before we go and, and, um, uh, and pee on the provinces, you had one other thing. I wish we could play copyrighted content. We can't. The YouTube algorithms would hate that. But I just want the listeners to know and I want the viewers to know Rocket Man, Elton John. Rocket Man. Can I sing? Wait, can I sing? Can I sing copyrighted content? Because then then it's original, right? I think you can sing copyrighted content. I don't know if I recommend. I've never heard you sing, so I don't know if I'm recommending it, but I think it's allowed. Anyway. um, Mars ain't the kind of place to raise your kid. Saw this saw this thing from uh, Rachel Gilmore, Omar Algaraba. Omar Transportation Gra- Minister. Transportation Minister just announced a plan to enable Canada to do space launches from within its own borders. Quote, for many years, Canadian satellites have launched from sites in other countries, he said. It's time for us to start launching them right here at home. I, I agree. It would great if we it would be really good if we had more of our own satellite launch pads. Looking forward to it. We could build them. We're going to build them. We actually going to build them. I don't have faith that we can actually build things. So but I'm interested. Yeah. So I'm the space nerd. Could. I'm the space nerd. Normally you want to be launching as close to the equator as possible. Mm-hmm. And you launch opposite the direction of the earth's rotation. So you sort of like the earth rotates quickly and you you get the benefit of the extra speed yeah, uh, the extra based speed. on the Earth's rotation. Yeah. Sometimes, though, you want to be shooting uh, for polar orbits. Canada's well positioned for that because instead sure. of uh, instead of shooting uh, to the east, I, I think the way they shoot off Florida or at a Kazakhstan where the Russians launch, uh, we would just shoot north, and then we could get in, into a polar orbit, which suits us. Canada is a completely well suited country to this. We're, we're high tech. Uh, stable regulatory systems and favorable geography. You also always want to be firing either near wide open expanses or huge open bodies of water. Of which we case, have lots. Of Well, basically in case kaboom. Right. So like Florida is perfect for launching because it's close to the equator and you just fire it over the ocean. You know, something terrible happens. You don't kill anybody on the ground. Um, I'm with you though. I don't know if we can pull this off. It's just like, I don't, I don't hate the idea. You know what? You know what this is, Jen? This is your column on Thursday about public health messaging. It's not that I hate the idea. I just have questions. <laughs> I have doubts. So I haven't been able to write a column about this yet, but I've been working on this quietly, and it will be for us about the Via Rail debacle uh, <laughs> over Christmas, right? Right. <laughs> via Rail, transportation, federally regulated. Brains. Trains stranded hundreds of people within like walking distance of rescue. Yep. We're not going to fix that. But what we are going to do is develop a homegrown Canadian space launch industry. Sure. By the way, can I point out that like we've had train technology for 200 years, 200 years going on 200 years. Choo choo. My son's really into trains. I can tell you all about it. Everybody Uh, loves trains. Everybody loves trains. It's just like the Canadian government. I just don't want to be stuck with stuck on one for eighteen hours with no working toilets or food. Within walking distance. Within walking distance. I mean, how in the world did you did they just not get off the like? 
you couldn't have kept me on that train. No way. Probably not me either. It was, I would have rushed. I would have rushed the security. I would have been like, no, I don't know if there was security. Like, I don't know if they were telling people not to look, if you have young kids, if you are mobility issues, I think it was about eight kilometers to the nearest town. Mm-hmm. In the winter, that's a long walk. Like if you're not, yeah. if you don't got boots and proper winter clothing and stuff, maybe you don't risk it. But do you know how the cops found out about it? A cop was in a convenience store getting a snack, and a bunch of people like were wandering into the store because like that was what they found first when they were walking away from the train. He's like, "Where are you guys coming from? Oh, we're on the train that's stuck." What? Twenty-one hours, I think they were stranded there. That's but insane. yes. That's Canada fucking... will, and also because over, 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 and because like there was a, but there because there was also a, a, a tree that fell on the track. Yeah, and nobody could get a chainsaw to it. You know what? I don't know enough about the engineering specifics to know if it was unreasonable for the train to be stuck there. The people should not have been on the train. Like that Couldn't was you just gotten like a buses and ATVs. Like I, I, yeah, that's exactly what should have happened. That because is, I just, but I just also don't understand how how someone couldn't just get like, just get chainsaw. Do if this shit had happened in Alberta, these people would not have been stuck. We literally would have just like formed a posse of vigilantes and would have gotten them out ourselves. Like, I'm sorry, but that's the that's what would have happened if this had gotten stuck in Alberta. That's not. That is what happened in Ontario once anyone realized it was a thing. Like the local first responders took care of it, but yeah. no one told them. Like there was no, ch- like, and this is why I have to research this more. It was like via rail was a sort of like, all right, all right, we'll send another train, but it's going to take us like 18 hours to get it there. All you had to do was call the local fire department and they would have evacuated the train. Oh, fuck but fire like, department. I mean, I mean, like here in Alberta, it would have really would have been like somebody would have called up all the moms on their face group groups list and you would have had 20 volunteers there within two hours. Like that would have happened. I, 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 I guarantee you that would have happened. Yeah, I, I I will defend the good people of Coburg enough to say that I think if they knew it was happening, they Fair probably yes. would have. But yeah, I think but there was no communication. The train just disappeared into a Canadian federal bureaucracy void. And it was yes. like no one knew it was sitting there with no food and no running toilets. Crazy. Um, just insane to me. No, I'm not I'm not trying to trash Coburg or Ontario or whatever. Like I'm 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 Alberta has a very unique civic infrastructure that is its own thing but like i'm not saying that this wouldn't have happened it just it just is completely insane to me it's just completely insane just remember my frequent warnings to you that albertans are consistently saying only in alberta even though it's something that just true but like remember only in alberta the back when the when the uh, train blockades happened only alberta literally alberta showed up with their with their yeah with their pickup trucks and just started dismantling it like Alberta's are, Britons are a bit weird. We are a bit weird. We we generally don't trust the governments to fix problems. I will say this. You're weirder than most of us, but you're not as weird as you think you are. Oh, probably not. Like you're like 10% above 10%. baseline national weird. weirdness, yeah. but you think you're 300% above baseline national I, that's, weirdness. That's, that is probably true. I will give you that. Let anyway. Me, um, let me so actually, good. on the provincial front, do you want me to actually give you guys props on something for a minute though? Go let, for it. Let me dump on my own province for a minute. I have two Ontario updates uh, to provide. Okay. One of them, let's make briefly. Two weeks ago in our Welcome Back Dispatch, I made a point of putting, and I, I'm I'm glad I did because now we look like geniuses. I made a point of saying two weeks ago and when we came back from holiday that the Greenbelt file in Ontario was getting hot and that we should watch it. And mm-hmm. 
Oh boy. So let me tell you what happened uh, for the viewers, for the listeners. The Green Belt is a uh, kind of a, a ring of land around Greater Toronto that was closed to development. A lot of good reasons for that, uh, protecting watersheds, protecting agricultural land, and uh, curbing urban sprawl. Over the years, there have been a bunch of adjustments to it, uh, because some of the times it would create like a planning absurdity, where like a subdivision would be cut in half. So you would like put a few acres in, you'd put a few acres out. That was always, that was not controversial. Little adjustments were fine. Um there had been rumors in his first term that Doug Ford wanted to start selling off the green belt. He denied it right up until the the last election. Well, he's, he's selling off big chunks of the green belt. Um, and he says it's necessary to develop housing. This is, there's such an interesting political nuance here. This is unpopular on its merits. It's even unpopular with conservatives. Nobody likes this. This is like almost 70% of Ontarians oppose this, including 45% of conservatives. So this is not even like a partisan issue. Everybody hates this plan. What's really kicking this up a notch, though, is that it has been reported, and for all the lawyers out there representing the various parties, look how carefully I will phrase this, you soulless. It has been reported that developers with links to the government or members of the government purchased large parcels of land shortly before it was open to development. And since at the time of purchase, the value of the land was low, and since it is now open for development, the value of the land is high, it has been suggested that people with close links to the government stand to benefit from purchasing the land at the right time and now being able to either sell it or develop it. Those are the allegations that have been widely reported in the media. That is what we put a flag into two weeks ago. We basically said, watch this. This could get interesting. The Integrity Commissioner in Ontario has now opened a probe into the relevant minister. The Integrity Commissioner cannot levy any criminal sanctions. They can find that provincial law was broken and there could be like a, a censure. There could be fines. This is not a criminal probe. But the Ontario Provincial Police is actively monitoring this. And as I wrote in a column for TVO this week, there's no good way to be investigated. Like, the, like there's just nothing but political agony when you're being investigated. Even if nothing is found, the opposition can spend the next three months going, Doug Ford's under investigation for breaking the law. They're going to just do that over and over. And that's the best case scenario. The other wild card here is Jen. The developers are going to be investigated too, because this is not this is not just going to look at the government. Everyone's going to want to know who had what appears to be, according to reports, unusually good foreknowledge of exactly what parcels of land to be buying. Doug Ford on Friday came out and said he does not believe that anyone was tipped off. I guess we'll see Um, the other. So that's the update. That's we'll, we'll leave it at that. We're going to be very careful with this, Jen, because everybody's lawyered up by now. Um, But that's the update on where the news story is. You and I have seen government's scandals before. This is how they all start. This is exactly. But then also let's remember, we've come out of about seven, eight years of perpetual government scandals that ultimately the, the public didn't care about. 
Oh, I know. And that's, I used to have hair, but I don't anymore. <laughs> um, the other thing I would say, and this is where I am actually going to laud uh, the civic spirit of Alberta and provinces that are not Ontario. You want to know something about my own province that pisses me off? Yes, always. We had no idea that the rest of the country exists. Oh, no, we noticed. Yeah, I figured, I thought you might have. And I know that people say it's center of the universe, Toronto. It's more of an Ontario thing. And so this maybe week... The na- maybe the black hole's expanding. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, earlier this mass. week... Oh, sorry? Reaching critical mass. Yes. Points of no return now as far as Thunder Bay. Yeah, it's it's getting bad. Because on Monday... Uh, Doug Ford and Sylvia Jones, the deputy premier and the health minister, they announced some uh, reforms to Ontario's healthcare system, which will allow more publicly funded but privately delivered healthcare procedures in Ontario. Relatively minor stuff. Cataract mm-hmm. surgery, surgeries, uh, diagnostic tests, MRIs, CAT scans, uh, colonoscopies, things like I that. Think, I think we've been doing all of this stuff for ages in Alberta and Maybe hip t- surgeries. Uh, knees and hips that would be phase three and i read so much ontario coverage i listened to so much reaction listening to talk radio while running errands talking to friends and family neighbors ontario had a provincial debate this week about something that is routine in every other province or at least most of them yep and my mom got her cataracts done or not a cataract some kind of eye surgery done at a private clinic did it ruin healthcare as we know it when that happened? I'm pretty sure that our healthcare is in better shape than yours. I am completely open to debating the merits of the plan, the pros and the cons. I have no faith in the Ford government's ability not to fuck this up. But there just needs to be, like, you know how Canadians are bad about any international comparison that is not the United States? Mm-hmm. Ontarians are bad at remembering there are other provinces in this country. Yeah. And all we need to do is go, hey, is Quebec doing this? Is Alberta or BC doing this? Like, what's worked? What hasn't? What can we learn from that? It just never occurs to us. We are completely inside our own belly buttons. Yeah. And yeah. No, I, I, we, rest of us had picked up on that. Noticed. Yeah. Noticed. <laughs> Think of the money we could save just by looking at what's working well in every other jurisdiction. And but going, that would we'll require that. that there are other jurisdictions that are doing things well that are not Ontario. Why, why would you want to look to some backwater province for ideas? Because we're out of money and our hospitals are a disaster. Well, then they must be worse elsewhere. Can I? So that's my gut check moment for my home province. Just I'm begging you, please remember there are other provinces. <laughs> uh, what Can I make one uh, comment on this, though? Uh, okay, but quickly. This is not as controversial as I thought there's, it was because Because you know what? There's There are other people on this podcast, Matt. It's your turn next, but I will simply say, <laughs> I thought this was going to be controversial, and I don't think it is. No, I don't think most people. Like, when well, it, it would be controversial, it would yeah. The predictable people are, are going to be angry, but I mean, once people realize that this just means that they can get their eyes done sooner, they're not going to care. Yeah, but I also just think like I think the taboo is broken a bit. Like, and it I don't, probably ought to have been. Yeah, no, no, for sure. Um, I don't support a U.S. style private healthcare systems i well, i don't there, support there is that. no i mean that's because there is no u.s system the, the the u.s system is just a bunch of cobbled together mess there's no organized principle behind any of it 
Yep. There's an att- there's an attempt to sort of stick a bunch of fingers in a bunch of holes in a dam. Like that's that's all the U.S. system is. I think we can do better. No, wait, I don't. Never mind. Never mind. Well, we could, but everybody's focused on building a rocket launch facility. So yeah, I mean, when all of your national attention and resources are going to an important project like that, how can you expect us to? Which uh, which department got itself the plaque for the evacuation? GAC. Uh, Global, Global Affairs, Affairs Canada. All right, I want Global Affairs Canada to issue every Ontario Health Minister an award for excellence in administration and strategic planning. I would like GAC to issue Doug Ford a plaque that says, "You've been great." Yeah, read. The Congratulations room. for your heroic efforts in managing COVID. <laughs> An extremely well-received and popular. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, to the transport minister. Uh, I think we should give Teresa Tan the Order of Canada. It would be great. For communication for skills. For communication skills during a time of crisis. Patty Adu for her extremely consistent. Jason Keddie monuments and leadership. Yeah, and, 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 and stability. And, and governmental management. Yeah, we give one to the transportation minister for his heroic single-handed rescue of hundreds of stranded via rail passengers. Perfect. Yeah. The government of Canada. <laughs> we'll get a plaque that like in it will be an image of the actual transportation minister like hauling oh. children over the snow. It'll be like a heritage moment. It'll Just be we'll reaching with it ropes forever. to pull the yep. sled through yep. the snow drifts. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, that's the Global Affairs Canada. The line item for plaques and ceremonial trinkets is going to be way higher than uh, normal. Yeah. All right, you wanted to do some Alberta stuff. Yeah, the one of the two is that there was a really great uh, scoop by the local CBC um, noted that uh, someone within uh, Premier Smith's staff appears to be trying to meddle with pro- uh, prosecutions, particularly on the Coots blockade. You remember during the convoy that the uh, Coots blockade was one of the was one of the border crossings here in Alberta. Mm-hmm. It was probably the most. I don't, it was the, the serious most, one. Yeah, it was the serious one. It was the one where the RCMP generally found a, allegedly found a conspiracy to commit violence. And when they raided houses, they found lots and lots of weapons, a weapons cache. Of course, this has become a subject of a local conspiracy theory where the RCMP actually set every, set them up as a pretext text to calling the emergencies actor and all of all the rest. That is not a credible conspiracy theory. And I'll move on from that point. However, it looks like somebody within Smith's office or next to somewhere, somewhere within one of Smith's cabinets was emailing the prosecution saying, well, what are you doing? You're mischaracterizing this protest and blah, 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 blah. Obviously not on. I don't think it mat- matches SNC levels because you don't have active pressure of a active threats of an actual prosecutor or attorney general to drop a charge. And obviously there's no um, monetary incentive to be doing any of that. So I don't think it's quite that level, but it's still government meddling in prosecutions. Meanwhile, you've got um, uh, Daniel Smith is was kind of called out because apparently she one of her campaign promises was amnesty to some of the COVID preachers. But of course, she can't grant amnesty to the COVID preachers. That's not how the system works. Premiers so don't have her, pardon powers. Yeah, we don't have pardon powers. So you know, a lot of her base are now pissed off because they feel like there's a big flip flop or like they've 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 been had the wool pulled pulled over their eyes. Hint: Yes, you have, dumbasses. Um, and and meanwhile, so Smith kind of walk back statement she's like oh well, i've talked to prosecutors and then she had to walk back the statement and say no i didn't talk to prosecutors when it was pointed out that she can't really talk to prosecutors that's that's really not appropriate so anyway 
what's good for the goose is good for the gander. I was pretty one of the many people who was very critical of what the liberals did with the SNC file because, you know, you should not have governments picking favorites on who gets prosecuted and who doesn't. Period. This is this is just we have an independent judiciary for a reason. Um and an independent system for a reason, independent judicial system for a reason. And uh you can't do this. So, you know, don't do this. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. To me, this reeks of just just fanaticism and and amateurishness, but it's exactly the kind of fanatical amateurish fuck up that you would expect to see from this particular administration and that they really can't afford to have if they have any hopes of winning the next election. So you and I talked a little bit about this uh, earlier in the week, and I, I, I just ask you questions about Alberta because like I always want to I, I read the news for Alberta and I, I always want to gut check myself on it. One of the problems that I have diagnosed from afar, because I, I did briefly remember that Alberta exists and that other provinces exist. Uh, I mean, whenever you call me, I'm hoping that you remember that, you know, you are calling a number, a, like, uh, an area code that is the not. Area code. I'm like, this isn't 416. This isn't 416 um, or 647. What, do you, yeah, what, just, who, what is this? I, I, every time I try to call you, I get a wrong number because I reflexively do 416 first. Um, so I remember saying to you earlier in the week that Smith seems to just say stuff. And I, is this sort of yes. where as yes. where, you know, I've trained myself over the years, not with 100% success to not verbalize every thought I have, because sometimes it's worth having that loop in the back of my mind that goes, actually, is this dumb? Or I don't know if the premier of Alberta has that loop, you know, but I think the people like her for that. I think the people in Alberta like people who Which actually people? just voters, Albertans. I think people like that. I think they like it that there are people out here who just say stuff. I mean, this is kind of like nine tenths of my own popularity. I just say stuff. It's also nine tenths of your problems. <laughs> Not wrong, but I seem to have turned out okay. And she's the premier of the province. So whatever. Hmm. Um, With the prosecution thing, I'm not asking a leading question. I just don't know. Is there any link to Smith's office? Like, do we know who was calling? Yeah, there's some suspicion. I don't think that the the link is directly to Smith's office. I think it was like to an assistant of a cabinet minister kind of thing. So I I don't, they didn't actually name the person and said, this is the person who made made the call. I don't know why they haven't named them. I should probably find out. Stop being lazy. Because on the one hand, like in a sense of fairness, I want to basically point out not every political leader is responsible for all the dumb shit no. that happens in there. And that would be impossible. And like, especially it, at, the, at the early stages of a tenure when everybody's just figuring out what the hell is going on. Yeah. And I think like, for right? instance, like, on the Greenbelt thing, I don't know if Doug Ford had the first fucking clue what was going on. Like, it's very possible that, and again, I, I don't mean this as a whitewash. For all I know, some mid-level staffer in the minister's really? office kind of went, hey, this is the map of what we're thinking. Or for, or for all you know, somebody just accidentally faxed a map of the potential thing to some developer's office. It would be like, a fax, too. Um, yeah, totally. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it could be something as stupid as that. So I don't assume if there was any interference in prosecutions in Alberta that this has to go right to the top. No. But it does also seem like something... You would need to have a pretty good set of cojones, basically, or to actually make that call. That well, doesn't sound have... to me like rookie junior staffer. No, it wasn't a rookie junior staffer. And also, it kind of tells you the type of people who have been attracted to this particular government, right? 
I don't know if it, yeah, I don't know if it tells us anything we didn't know. I'm, no. I'm just more stuck on like every, I think government staffers, I don't think are any different than any other large institution staffer. The the people who are new in the job, the rookies, they're, they're too terrified to do anything bold and assertive. So whoever did this had to be senior enough to probably delude themselves into thinking they were untouchable. But this, it's possible this is a, this was a senior rookie, is what I'm saying. Oh no, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, I, that's I would what I'm saying. Say likely, likely. So this is yeah. somebody in a senior position, well above where they probably ought to be. So um, you had the Dunning Kruger kind of effect thing happening. Yeah. Like I can, I can, I can understand how this happened. Oh no, yeah, I don't, yeah, yeah. I don't think it's hard to figure that out. I think, yeah, like senior enough to senior enough think to you're think that they were invulnerable, dumb enough the... to not realize you're not. Yeah. A friend of mine used to be a hand-to-hand combat instructor for soldiers, which is sort of a weird thing to have on your resume, but that's actually, he wasn't in the military. He was just like a good hand-to-hand combat guy. He used to work with soldiers. And he always said when his class would graduate, he would always, like his entry-level basic class, his parting message to them all was, everybody, thank you for your hard work. Congratulations on all your accomplishments. And remember, you now know just enough to get yourself into serious trouble with someone who knows a little bit more. And I, that's, that's good. And I think that's such a transferable lesson to so many other things in life. You, it's not exactly Dunning Kruger, but it's pretty close to it, right? It's like, yeah, you now have earned just enough confidence to have too much confidence. Yeah, yeah. Um. Okay. Well, <laughs> we had to let it go there. Some tired. Um, I had I a bit do- of a morning. I will do the Ontario updates, obviously. Um, okay. The Greenbelt one, I will keep very neutral, as all of my comments are were, just reporting on newsworthy events. You You're going to do the Aaron Wary observations? I'll do Aaron Wary. I will do uh, Ontario Greenbelt, and I will do... Uh, what was the other one? Oh, um, no, the uh, Ontario not realizing other provinces exist. Sure. Um, okay. Then I'll do the, uh, the plaque. I'll do, uh, Alberta's crown prosecutor dust up and do you want me rockets? to do something rockets? I mean, I just going to do a quick little blurb on rockets. Like I wasn't going to go into it at any depth, but I just wish we could play rocket man. Rocket man. <laughs> I, I don't, I'm not, I, if you want to write the plaque one, that's fine, but now I want to have a David Ayers reference in here. So the headline can be something like the Toronto Maple Leafs Award for Excellence in Governing. Like, All right. All right. I'll put David Ayers in there. I wonder if we can use it. I wonder if there's like a art we could use too. It just basically. And the funny thing is too, everybody loved David Ayers. It was the, it was the Leafs that looked terrible, right? That's, a, that's why the joke's not on the guy. Who is grabbed out of like obscurity for one night and shuts the down? Zamboni driver. The Zamboni, Zamboni driver, driver. The Zamboni driver served his role with honor and dignity. It was the Maple Leafs' offense that did not. Yeah, I wonder. Maybe, maybe the Maple Leafs' offense threw it because they were like, "We want to give old oh, David." No. no, no, no. I was there. No, it, it was just. It was, it was so just beautiful. A, you're kind of tearing up. It was just a magnificent collapse, and I was so appalled but just so deeply honored to i think um you know do you know the milk you know if i say milkshake duck do you know what that means yes yes i do i wonder now because i never bothered learning anything about david Ayers. i wonder if he's a milkshake duck who knows man it's almost like it's almost don't find out that's don't you don't want to find out 
Yeah. So it's, it's, I feel like like a little bit of like this, like it's been such an honor to escape mainstream media and start this line with you in the face of the total collapse of everything we knew and loved. Uh, well, I mean, we didn't even mention it this week, but another round of cuts coming at Post Media. Oh, shoot. That's right. That's right. Another round of cuts. And they were just like, they were great about it, too. They were just like, we're going to make a bunch of you go digital only, and we're not going to tell you who. And 10% of the workforce is screwed, but we're not going to tell you who. I don't. Best of luck. Is See, I, I was National Post only, and I was management. So mm-hmm. I never was involved in any of the union discussions. But is that because... Are the Alberta Post Media guys unionized? No, there was a big infamous thing back in 99 where uh, the Calgary Herald tried to unionize and they got busted. I don't think the journal is, but the BC papers are. And this traditionally is why the cuts have always come from the profitable, increasingly profitable papers in Alberta in order to spare the unionized papers. Then this, I, that was something I saw firsthand because I joined the Herald yeah several years after that strike but it was it was really striking that the unionized paper papers managed to hold on to more of their staff and more of their resources for longer because it was just easier to go for the ununionized papers it was easier to cut from them yeah because when you mentioned um i am i am off the post media uh email distribution list um but i did read uh some of the coverage about the post media cuts and obviously there was criticism of of the paper of the corporation announcing cuts but not taking any questions and not giving any details about who is being affected that's as reported well there's nothing better than just like not knowing if your job's hanging in the balance for weeks but what i was wondering is if that's because sometimes the company will say we're cutting x number of workers but then they need to go and talk to the union to figure out who those workers are or it just gives an opportunity to to to, to, or it could just be an issue of like they're trying to encourage people to take voluntary separation agreements yeah yeah, um, so that's why I asked if they were unionized, though, because if if the union negotiations aren't a thing, they're not a thing. Didn't they no sell idea. a bunch of real estate too? Where is yes, the they, they just the Herald building? Oh, this is actually very sad. So the Herald building was originally built in 1982, I believe, it was uh, christened, and it's a huge, huge building. It's a lot like the old National Post Don Mills building. Uh, did it have its printing presses on site? It did have its printing presses yeah. on site, and it actually even had like an atrium, like the old National Post building did. So, like clearly, it was. I think actually the Post building may have been modeled after the, the Herald building, but that Herald building, I can tell you, was built with an expectation, and it, it was actually quite formidable. Not only did it have its own cafeteria, it had its own daycare on site, where Herald employees could take their kids. Right, like that was really progressive space, and uh, that building was built with an expectation that it was going to be eventually a newsroom of six hundred and a city of two million. Womp, womp, womp. What are you guys up to now? 1.4? Uh, 1.6, I think, was the latest. But um, but a newsroom being, of like 30. It, less now, I think less for everybody. And I think they outsourced their printing. Um, and also they eventually moved everybody out of the newsroom. And they the beautiful newsroom with this beautiful mountain views. They moved them into like the back of the building, into this teeny tiny little cupboard of a newsroom. And then they leased out a lot of their old space. I think they've been trying to sell that building for years and years and years because, of course, it was just this huge prime real estate asset that they were sitting on. So anyway, they finally sold it, and now they're going to have to find a new office for their you know, newsroom of, like, five people. You want to know a really depressing factoid? Mm-hmm. Um, you, you, spent, you spent time in Toronto working for me directly that would have been 2015 ish 
When was that time you were in Toronto for a series of months? It wasn't months. It was I for a while I was the um I was an online comment editor. You were in Toronto for an extended period of time and you were working out of the office. I just don't yeah, remember. But that it was. wasn't months. It was really like a week or two. No, wouldn't more. No, it was. It was not long. Was it summer of fifteen? I think it was later than that. It must have been later than that. Um, but by by then, the National Post had already moved to the uh, downtown newsroom in a in a yes. In a this is space. the downtown newsroom. That's right. And then, did you ever work out of the original? No, I never North worked York? out of the original Don Mills. I'd been there a couple of times, but I'd never worked out of there. So the company, um, I I don't remember how exactly this worked. Either they couldn't sell it for a long time, or they did sell it and then nothing happened to it for a long time. But I almost have, I never have any reason to be up at the old National Post building anymore until an errand uh, brought me to the strip mall that is next to it. Mm -hmm. The old National Post building has been converted into an indoor self-storage facility. That's depressing. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. Well, in this case, the uh, the building got sold to U-Haul. In Calgary? Yeah. What are they going to use it for? Like actual like fleet maintenance? I have no idea, man. I mean, it's cavernous. It's a big building. Oh, like, so is could, the Don Mills could, building. Oh, it was huge. Like, you could probably strip out all that. Once you stripped out all of the uh, printing presses, you'd probably have room for, like, a fleet of vans in there, for sure. And, of course, they would have the big trucks because the big because they had all the trucks doing the distribution. Yeah. I, I just thought at the time it was a, it was a metaphor for... Like I started working at that building in 08, 09, and even then they were already telling me how empty it was. So the, yeah. the building had three floors. The first floor was cafeteria, some boardrooms, and a lot of like utility spaces. So the first floor wasn't that useful for work purposes. Then there was the second floor, and then there was the third floor. And when I was there, the second floor was already like not only closed, but like shuttered off. Because it was depressing to look at the empty office space. Yeah. And then we we had everybody on the third floor. And then we started to give up the third floor space and just shutter it off. Yeah, so, it's weird. It's it, it's like this, once you've been in a newsroom in this scenario, it's like this weird opposite of cancer effect. It's like this, this slow retraction of the disease into itself, right? It, and it gets very, mm -hmm. like I went into the, the Herald, the new Herald newsroom after it had been taken out of the main newsroom and put into like the back. It was just, it was very sad. When we moved from Don Mills down to, into downtown Toronto, so for non-Toronto listeners, Don Mills is in North York. It's kind of a suburban area. That's where the original National Post building was. Yeah, yeah. And then we leased an off, like part of a tower downtown. When we made the move, we had to have management meetings putting every available desk to use because the space was so tight that um, we had to make sure everybody had a desk. By the time I left... That building was two thirds empty. So in like in fourteen, when we moved down, had to have detailed meetings about exactly where everybody would sit. By the time I left in two thousand twenty, half empty. So, take a seat. Beautiful. All right. Do we want to say anything about this? Is this dispatch worthy in any way? I mean, we have written about media stuff before. It's just I'm not sure what there is to add. It's another round of laughs. It's another round of laughs. You and I have escaped. Wee. Yeah. You know what? And God bless our subscribers for that. Well, you know, I was going to say it feels good, but it, it doesn't. Because every time mm -hmm. I hear about this, I just feel sad. It's not. It's not good. 
when nothing, I, there's, there's nothing good about any, it doesn't matter whether or not you like the outlet or not. There's nothing good about an outlet going down. There's just, that's one fewer voice. That's like, it. I had this really cool memory of meeting Brian Mulrooney in the atrium of the old national post building and uh, waiting for a meeting. And he was just such a complete gentleman and that rich, deep voice, like such a iconic voice and asking me questions. And I, about me, my life, and just wishing me and my children all the best in that Mulrooney voice. And where I stood with Brian Mulrooney under the under the trees of the atrium, it's where people store their excess mattresses. Like perfect. Yeah, like I said, it feels good to have escaped because one day it's gonna be an amazing, amazing site of an Urbex video on YouTube. What's Urbex? Urban Explorer. Oh, Explorers, yeah. Yeah, Urban Explorers. In 20 years, no one's going to remember what it was. And they're going to be like, what was this place? I'm going to go cheer myself up by watching something else about the Titanic. <laughs> uh, okay. So, yeah, I don't know if I have anything to say about this. Is it worth no. noting? Like, even just as a- I think, yeah, maybe we should just note it. But I don't know what else there is to add. It's just slow decline. Do you want to do it? Because that's the Western post-media sure. outlets? Yeah. Or- yeah, I'll do it. Anyway, to our post media friends, we love you and we're sorry. Mm. Okay, well, have a great weekend, Jen. Okay, you too. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Well, like I said, we're going to go raise our spirits by reading about nautical disasters. For Jen Gerson, it's Matt Gurney. This is the Lions Experimental Podcast. Have a great weekend.